comprehending God's goodness in a crazy world. Would you say we live in a crazy world? But would you say God's good? So we're charged with, through the Bible of expressing God's goodness in a crazy world to living God's goodness in a crazy world. And so last week we, we looked at the goodness of God and we, we came out of Psalms verse 34 uh, and 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And if you weren't here last week, we, I did this silly illustration where I, I had a steak cooking outside my office. Was anybody here for that? Yeah. So, and then, so I love steak. I mean, I love steak. If you don't eat steak, I told you to think it was an eggplant, but me, myself, I love steak. And so I'm a con- I'm a connoisseur of steak places. And so if I hear someone say that was a good steak, I want to go and find out because I'm not really going to know that it's good unless I go and taste that steak. And I'm a steak snob. I am. And so I would rather cook steak at my house for myself. My wife, pat myself on the back, she won't even order a steak anywhere else. Mine's so good. (laughs) But she will order eggplant. (laughs) I hate that stuff. Anyway, so I brought the steak in, cut it open, ate it in front of you. And, and, you know, I've got so many emails on that going, what'd you do with steak? That was really mean to eat in front of us. (laughs) Most of those are from the 1130 service because they're freaking hungry by the time they leave. I'm like, guys, you ever heard of brunch? Go to brunch. Anyway, so, but, but tasting and seeing the Lord is good. And so I thought we would talk about the goodness of God again this week and how it plays out in our own life and, and how it helps us in different areas and how we, we can really comprehend the goodness of God, even though we live in a world that would seemingly be spinning out of control. That does not determine God's goodness. It doesn't determine who he is because he's God and he's in control. And so let's look at this idea of God's goodness. Number one, I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you today, uh, not necessarily from one passage. So if you're taking notes, write these down. If you don't have means to take notes, they'll be online tomorrow. The goodness of God leads us to walking in victory. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Verse 15. For we are to, to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So you go back to the point, and the goodness of God leads us to walking in victory. There's something really cool about having friends in your life that win more than they lose. There's something really cool about having a person that you, you can kind of see. Not, we never walk in full victory. We can't in a certain area of our Jesus was the only one that won every time. That's just the bottom line. However, we, he has made a way for us to walk in victory. Now watch this. You got to understand the culture, the context that this was written in. And so we get this idea, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And so you get this idea of a procession, a parade. And so we're following Christ and we're following Christ as he has triumphed. Now, this is written in a day where kings are still going to war and and people are fighting each other. So here's what would happen. A king would go off to war against another king because they had too much ego and they had nothing else to do in the springtime, I guess. And which, never mind. So, So anyway, they would go off and the king that won would then take the other king and anyone who wasn't killed, especially his hierarchy, and he would lead them back to his city. And when they got close to the city gates, you would begin to hear trumpets. 
And so what would happen is, is the king would, would lead the defeated king and everyone else through the city. And so can I borrow you? Can I borrow you? You get to be the king this service, but you get to be the defeated king. <laughs> Steve was really upset in the first service. He said, I wanted to be king. I told him he sounded like one of those kids in that school play that, that didn't get to be. Come on. All right, so here's the idea. I get to be the triumphal king only because I know what to say. If you knew what to say, I would, I would let you do it. I totally would. Okay, and so they get to the city gates. You got, you got to see this. And all of a sudden, these trumpets start going off, and there's fanfare everywhere, and the streets are lined. Come on. And the streets are lined with people. All hail the king. And they're clapping and they're jumping and they're saying, yay. yay." (laughs) And they're, and yeah, come on. And so these these guys are defeated and they're coming. And so, yeah, it's terrible. I know, I know. Yeah, and so the king, and so they're leading through the city. And can you guys make it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Through the city. And the fanfare's going on. It's happening. The king was, was successful in the battle. And towards the end of this procession, this triumphal procession, the king, in all of his kingly manner, goes and he, he steps up on a platform. And it's like all around him is fanfare because he was victorious. And so what would happen is the king would look at the other king and the people with him and say, you got two choices. You can bow or we can cut your head off. I don't think you're bowed far enough. No, I'm just kidding. And so most often people would bow. And so in bowing, that king said, I have been defeated. And you are king. You guys can sit down. Thank you. Give me my hand. Now, let's go back. Let's go back and read that again. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So now we're back to Christ leading us in triumphal procession. Christ being the victorious king. So now we have this idea. We, we are his subjects. And I think it's interesting, bow to the king. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can do it here, you can do it there, but you're going to do it one day. And so we have a victorious king in Jesus. And so now he leads us in this triumphal procession throughout life. Because he has conquered death and the grave. Because he's conquered the sin that we could not conquer. Because he did what religion couldn't do on the cross. He led a procession of all the way to the cross. And the Bible says he won at the cross by making an open spectacle of the enemy, triumphing over him on the cross. And so now we have victory through the cross. We have victory through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So if you're struggling in an area of your life, just know that area has been defeated. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us. How does that play out? Well, you know what? He's defeated those, he's defeated anger in your life. Struggle that. He's defeated addiction. He's defeated sickness. He's defeated those generational things that keep trying to jump on you. And you know, you hear the word generational curses, and everybody goes, ooh. That's not weird. The world knows what those are divorce, alcoholism, anger, abuse. I mean, 
There's nothing super weird about that. It's just real life. But Jesus Christ is leading us in a triumphal procession so that we can live in victory in those areas of our life. It's possible. It's out there. You can live in victory in those lives. Back to the idea in verse 15 of it being really cool to know people who are walking in victory, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. In other words, we get to share Christ through his victory with those around us being saved and those who are perishing. We don't get to decide who comes to know Jesus. We only get to decide if we're going to walk in that victory triumphal procession so that our victorious aroma can flow over into other people in our lives. Not in a prideful way. Not in a way that says, I got it all together. That's so stupid. No, you don't. By virtue of you saying you got it all together, you don't have it all together. Just missed the point right there. But we can become salt. We can become light. And we can say, look, man, you know what? I struggled with that for years. But Jesus helped me overcome that because what he did at the cross. Let me help you in this triumphal procession to walk in victory in that area of your life. Don't let it break you because Jesus already broke it. Number two, talking about the goodness of God. The goodness of God leads us in God's will. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So few words, so full of what we need to hear. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're here today and there's a circumstance or there's an area of your life and you're really having a hard time figuring out what God's will is in that area of your life. I mean, there are some things, if we want to know God's will, we just go to the word of God. And we don't trust in our own self. We trust in his understanding. We acknowledge him. And, and so he makes our path straight. And, and the number one way he does that is through the word of God. But there are times when we read the word and, and the word is saying, look, uh, you need to pray about this. And you're not feeling that. And so he, here, give thanks in all circumstances. So here's what I found in my own life. There's certain areas of my life that can be going really, really well. And then there's maybe another area I can't figure out God's will. Like, what what should I do? Like, for instance, parenting. We know it's God's will for us not to kill our kids. Even though they deserve it, sometimes. However, what is God's will in this certain area of parenting? So what do I do? I give thanks for my children. I give thanks for my job. I get so tired of hearing people gripe about their job because as soon as I get through having that lunch, I have a coffee with someone who's been praying for a job for months. The goodness of God. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And here's what happens. When I start giving thanks for everything in my life, that's all the circumstances of the area that I need God's will in starts being clear and clear and clear. And the light of the Holy Spirit comes out and enlightens the God's, God's word into a new way in your life. And you know that you know that you know that's the direction to take. And it doesn't matter who else around you says that's the right thing to do because you already know. Raina and I came here to plant this church. We were like, what are we doing? And, and so, but when we got a word from God and we started rejoicing God for where we were at and God, if you want us to stay there, then we'll stay there. But, but we're feeling this, we're feeling transition. But once we, so we started fasting and praying and thanking God for the things that we did have. 
And doors started opening. And man, did they open. Look, look at, we'll have three services a day that look just like this. Wow. So, and I'm bragging on God. Because we were scared to death. We're still scared. Walking in faith. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, hey, give thanks for that child that may be away from the Lord right now. Give thanks for that spouse who doesn't seem to be thankful for you. Give thanks for that job, even though you think your boss is Satan. Give thanks for these things. In every circumstance, give thanks. And you'll know God's will. Number three, the goodness of God leads us to say thank you. Now, there's, that's one of those simple things. You're like, yeah, I guess so. But here's the question. Have, do we practice saying thank you? Do we, are, we, are we grateful people for the goodness of God in our life? So there's a story. And if you read this and think about your own life and how many opportunities that you have to say thank you to God for his blessings in your life and thank you to others around you. I mean, when you say thank you to someone these days, well, especially in the holiday season, people are so busy. You know, not that you would ever go through a drive through but if you do, the next time you do, say thank you. Look them in the eye and say thank you. After you stand in line for 14 hours at Walmart, just say, thank you for being here today. They will look at you like you are completely out there. Can I have some of what you're having? Yes, Jesus. But why, look at the story that happened. Luke 17, 12 through 19. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, we're not not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. They're outside at a distance because they weren't allowed inside the city gates, obviously, because they had leprosy. You even got one that's a Samaritan who's way away from home because, you know, misery loves company. And they they had just hooked up together because there would be these little camps outside of cities of people who had leprosy. So they see Jesus coming. And so they shout, hey, hello. Jesus said, go show, show yourself. In other words, go show yourself to the priest. You're cleansed. Go. And only one comes back to say thank you. Only one. And you can go, how dare those other nine? Let that flesh out in your own life. Do we live a thankful life? And the way we live a thankful life is by understanding the goodness of God in our life. And when you're a grateful person and you live a thankful life and for what God's given you, you say thank you more than not. This guy was so overwhelmed that, that the, the disease and the rejection and his way of life had been changed. There's some of us in this room right now, we've been saved so long, we forget what it was like to not be able to fall asleep at night. We forget what it was like to not have peace. We forget what it was like to, to struggle with different things in our life. Every once in a while, it's good to get away, focused on the goodness of God and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know I'm undeserving. I know I'm a mess. I know I'm a wreck, but God, you're good. And there's nothing that's going to change that. So thank you for being good. 
Faithfulness is a characteristic of God. You should write that down. Faithfulness is a characteristic of God. God can be no other way but faithful. He can't be anything but faithful to us. And so you look around at your life and do a 360, and and it's real easy, and we'll talk about this in a second, but it's easy to find things that are wrong, but think about all the things that are right in your life. And and why not just get along with God and get on your knees or on your face or however you do it, take a walk, take a run, and say, God, I just want to have a grateful heart today. And, man, that will flow over into your family. It will flow over. I mean, you'll be less likely. We call it sliming at our house when the kids are still at home. But, but, like, when you wake up in the morning, have you ever noticed, like, the first five or six words you say to your spouse sets the tone of the day? Right? And it's all because something that's going on in your own heart. Or you got a teenager that doesn't like getting up for school, and they come coming, boy, you better go back in your room and get a better attitude. When we have a grateful heart, we're more likely to say thank you. And when we're more likely to say thank you, we're more, it's like a snowball. We're more likely to experience the goodness of God in our life because we're so grateful for it. And those around us will smell that aroma of great, gratefulness. Number four, the goodness of God leads us to contentment. Don't, don't raise your hand, but raise the hand in your heart. How many of you struggle with being discontented? I'll raise my hand. You don't have to. Discontentment is something that's taught to us at an early age, and it comes from teaching us that we, we deserve certain things, especially in America. And if we don't have those things, then we should be really discontent with our lives. But 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7 says, But godliness with contentment, those two together, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Godliness with contentment. So we're doing a math problem. It's not just contentment because I know a lot of people who are content and there's nothing godly about their life. They're just kind of floating through life. Yeah, I'm happy, dude. All right, well, okay. Godliness. And then I know a lot of people who are trying to be godly that are so discontented with their life. Let's, let's do this. So you take this right here. I'm going to set this up here. What do you see? Oh, come. Somebody said moonshine in the first service. <laughs> I love this church. That's all I can say. <laughs> Most of us would look at this and go, well, I see a half full glass, right? And if we're not careful, we can view our life this way. And we can look at the empty part more than we look at the full part. Well, how did how did, how did they get that car? How did they start? How did, how do how do they have such good finances? And how do they own their own business? Let me tell you something. Probably because they prayed their butt off and worked their fingers off. And so we're why is that person? God's good. God's good outside of our discontentment. So so watch this. Now what do you see? Full to overflowing, right? What changed? Our level of commitment. So, so there's a side teaching here that I can't get into. And if you want more of God's blessings in your life, you may need to stretch the wineskin and make the container a little bit bigger. That's for a different Sunday. But I'm talking about contentment. 
God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's goodness does not change. And so God being the water, he's not changed. And so why not? Only the container changed. Why not say, Lord, I'm going to look at my life so full, too overflowing, I'm going to live in contentment. I'm so thankful for that car that I have. It starts half the time. I'm content. Now, I'm not going to stop praying for a new car. I'm so thankful, God, for my kids. I'm content. But I'm not going to stop praying for them. Because, God, I'm going to let your word be discontent for them. Because I, I, our society, man, any of you parents in here know this all too well. You so, we so look at our kids and then look at other people's kids. And you're like, dude, where did I drop the ball? <laughs> you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know. You can get body work and spray paint a 1952 rusted out car and look at the outside of it and go, dang, I'd love to have that. Get on the inside and it's got rats everywhere. Be content with what God's given you and watch him give you more. Godliness and contentment. Godliness and contentment is great gain. It's great. The great gain right there flies in the face of, hey, you're not taking any, anything with you out of this world. Here's the great gain. The great gain is people seeing a life well lived, God being able to bless that life and allowing you to do things with eternal significance because that is what we do take into heaven. What we do for God is what we take into heaven. What we do for God is where we stand. If the Bible says everything else is going to be burned away like straw. Everything. All the menial tasks that we do is, are going to be burned away. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to pay your bills because I think that's pretty menial. But my wife loves for the lights to be on and running water. So, yeah, so I'm going to pay my bills. But w- what I'm saying is things that you do. So godliness and contentment is great gain. Well, if I'm not taking anything out of this world, where's the great gain coming in? The great gain's coming in because of how we can share Christ, because how God views us. And one day we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, thank you for practicing godliness and thank you for being content with what I gave you. Again, contentment is not, I don't care. Contentment is not taking your hand. Matter of fact, it takes more work to be content with what God's given you than it does to be discontent. A lot more work. Good, the goodness of God leads us to contentment. So the question is, how are you viewing your life? How are you viewing your life as we go into this most special holiday that the world has completely tried to wreck? Are we going to buy into that? Are we going to buy into, ah, I got to do this, got to be there, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, I got to buy this, and God's up there going, wait a minute. I thought this was about my son. I thought this was the most beautiful story ever. I thought this was about the Savior of the world being born. I didn't think this was about the burnt casserole. And the only way we can do that is live a life of contentment. It flies in the face of the American culture that we live in, but it's so who God is calling us to be. People at peace. People working hard, praying hard, but people at peace. So last thing, the goodness of God brings strength in all circumstances. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 gives this beautiful picture of contentment along with the strength that comes with contentment. 
In verse 17, we see things aren't going really good in this, this region. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, stop right here, Larry, and no cattle in the stalls. Remember, verse 17 starts with though. So we know something's coming after the, the situation that Habakkuk finds himself in here. And so look at this. In other words, everything that I need to survive is not around. Everything, verse 18, yet, though, yet, though things don't look great, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Going back to the idea of praising God and being thankful in the circumstance that you may be in and the will of God becomes clear. Praising God, thanking God. I mean, I, I know people that, that would attend church their whole life and never even think to, to throw some worship music on their house when things aren't going good and just worship God. I mean, I've, I've been guilty of that before. Like trying to figure things out and trying to work it and getting so tired that you figure forget who can actually work it out for you. Though, yet, though there's a lack, yet I'm not going to let that lack determine who God is in my life because I know he's so good. I still got breath in my body. I will yet rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my savior, because he has given me a joy that the world didn't give me. So the world can't take it away. I am going to be joyful in my God, the Lord, my savior. He, he, and so if you can't find joy in anything else, start rejoicing God today. If you're in lack, start rejoicing God today. If you got family matters going on that aren't good, start rejoicing God today. Start and be joyful in God. I'm not saying being some kind of loopy people and be really happy about your situation. I'm saying being joyful in God. Two different things. This is the good part. Not that the whole Bible's not good. So, though yet, fact. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my string instruments. I'm not really going to get into that because I can't play a stringed instrument. The sovereign Lord is my, say that word with me, strength. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Wow. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. You ever, and in this region, you got to remember, there are lots of rocks and crags and faces of walls of rocks. And, and so you get this idea of a deer. And if you've ever seen a deer out in their own element, they just hop around. They're goofy. But it's, it's amazing. It is completely Because you just sit there and go, wow, I would love to be able to do that. Take that to the next level and look at, at a face of a rock that you, you would have to have these days equipment like crazy to climb that. And so the illustration here is, oh, God, I've seen the deer do that. I've seen the deer climb up that mountain to the top. And so, God, that's what you do for me. 
You give me feet like a deer, hinds feet like a deer, so that I can climb the mountain in front of me. Watch this. So I can get a new perspective on my circumstance. Because I'm telling you, the empty sheep pens and the fig trees that aren't blooming look a lot different when you're on top of the mountain rejoicing in God and praising him because he's your sovereign Lord. And you look back down, and I'm just crazy enough to believe when you look down, maybe you'll start seeing the sheep come back. Maybe you'll start seeing the trees bud. Maybe you'll start seeing God do his thing. That's up to God, but he is good. And we learn right here that he gives us strength in every circumstance. Strength, not our own strength, not strength Oprah can give you, not strength Dr. Phil can give you, not strength that anything of this world can give you, but strength that comes from the throne of God because he is good. He's so good. Makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Maybe you're, maybe you're looking in the sheep pens today. Maybe you're focused on the lack. Rejoice in the Lord, the sovereign Lord. Let him give you strength that you need to climb the mountain that's in front of you. And when you get to the top of it, maybe you could turn around and see God's work in your life, knowing that only God could have done that. That leads to more rejoicing. That leads to more deer feet. I know that's not probably theologically correct. Either way, you get what I'm saying. The goodness of God gives strength for us in every circumstance. So you think about that for a second. Those things that we're going through in this room today, before we dismiss, I challenge you to worship God for the good that you can see anywhere you can see it. His will through his word gets enlightened to us. We take steps of faith. As we take steps of faith, we may see that the the barn's empty, the bank account's not good. There's no way in the world that kid's ever going to serve God again, seen too much wrong going in the church or whatever. We can see that. But as we're rejoicing, God says, I'm going to give you strength to get through that. I'm going to give you so much strength that you're going to have spiritual feet like a deer. And you're not going to be downcast every day over that circumstance. You're going to climb the mountain of that circumstance, and I'm going to get the glory for it. So maybe that's you here today. Maybe, maybe there's a mountain of marriage in front of you today. And you're like, there's, I, I have no strength left. I don't even like my spouse. Don't raise your hand on that one. God's able. Maybe you're up against a, a financial issue that you don't see any with God's able. Pray that he would give you strength. Maybe that's you. And maybe, maybe as we pray today, you can really, really trust God. And really, really allow him into that area of your life. Or maybe you're here today. Let's go back to the triumphal procession. You're not living in victory because victory starts at the cross through what Jesus Christ did for us. And, and maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Just like people in the, in the first service who raise their hand and say, I need to be saved. I realize that. Salvation is a faith issue. It, it, we've over-mysticized salvation in the church. The Bible, the Bible says you've been given a measure of faith and what you choose to put that measure of faith in, that's where your trust is. And where your trust is, that, that's where you're going to end up. I mean, how, how can you not read? How could you read a verse like John 3.16 and think that God didn't make, make every way for us to be saved? For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that whoever, not red, yellow, black, white, tan, not rich, poor, not perfect, 
not raised in a great family, not raised in dysfunction, whoever, there's a, there's a blanket there over humanity. Whoever believes in him, salvation is a belief factor because it takes faith to believe. So maybe you're here today and you say, yeah, man, I need a fresh start. I need, I need something to change in my life. Jesus is the X factor to change. I'm telling you. And there are many of us, hundreds of us in this room right now that would say, man, if I could sit down and have a cup of coffee with you, I'd tell you my story. And yes, Jesus is the X factor of change. When I put my faith in Jesus. So the question on the table is, two of them, one, do I need to trust God with a circumstance in my life? The other, do I need to trust God with my eternal being? You can walk out of this place today, going into this wonderful season with a new spirit. God says, when you put your faith in Jesus as the Messiah, you're made into a new creation. All the old is gone and the new comes. Maybe that's you. Would you bow your heads all over this place? God, thank you for your word in our hearts. Right now, God, thank you for your presence. And we just ask your spirit would come at this very moment and work and move in each heart, God, like only you can do. If you're part of that first group right there at the altar of your chair and you, you're having problem finding strength in an area of your life, I challenge you at this very moment to reach out for that. Reach out for that strength. Reach out for those hinds feet. Reach out for those deer feet. Ask, say, God, you know that I'm, I don't see any way for this person or for this situation. <laughs> but God, I know you're God. Would you do that for me right where you sit? I, I know a lot of you that are going through things in your life right now and you just refuse to let go of that situation and allow God to deal with it. Or maybe you're here today and you say, Jason, I need to be saved. I need, I need Jesus Christ in my heart. I need the, uh, the promise that God gives through Jesus. I need things to change in my life. And I don't profess to understand this whole Christianity thing, but what I do know is God's dealing with my heart right now. What I do know is my life's not going that great, and I could use some change in my life. If that's you, would you lift your hand up long enough for me to see it and put it right back down? I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. I see, thank you. You slip it up and slip it right back down. Awesome. Awesome. If you raised your hand, I want to pray with you. Go out to the tent afterwards. It's on the East Lawn. Grab a Bible. Get a, a seven-day devotion that will help you get started. We'll get you, we'll get you into a life group. If you're a shy person, you don't want to go out there, email the starting, uh, starting point at thecoastlinechurch.com or just email the church on our church website. A pastor will call you back and chat with you and talk with you and help you on this new journey. But right now, nothing magical about this prayer except that you're, you're making a statement by praying this. Pray this prayer with me. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for chasing me to this place in my life right now. And right now, God, I'm confessing in my heart that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one true son of yours. And right now, I'm confessing I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe he lived a sinless life. I believe he took my death and sin on the cross. I believe they placed him in a grave. I believe he rose from that grave on the third day, and I believe that he's coming back for me one day. I believe that. The reality of that being my new reality is becoming so clear to me right now. So, God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that are flooding my soul right now. Thank you that your word says I'm being made into a new creation. Thank you, Father. Give me the boldness to go out to that tent and chat with someone or email this week. In Jesus' name, amen.